0: Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian Companion. Uh, My co-host is uh, Peter, and I remain Doug. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. So we are doing um, Episode 4 of The Mandalorian, uh, variously titled Sanctuary, but really should be titled The Seven Samurai,
1: or in this case, (laughs) The Two
0: Samurai. (laughs) right
1: Uh, you're correct let's train the villagers and put up some spear perimeters right exactly against the marauders um so except that the budget of this one episode is probably a hundred times greater than curacao's (laughs) movie was and, and that was 4,000 times better. And 50 years
0: ago. <laughs> right. Or more, I think. Um, what year is Seven Samurai? Seven it's Samurai. Like 50, 52 or something like that. Seven Samurai 54. is 1954. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, we'll, we'll get into it in a second. But this episode, I went backwards when I was thinking about this episode because I was. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is just like, there's an episode of Star Trek Enterprise called Marauders, which is nearly the exact same story. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking, well, you know, it's a lot like Marauders, but it's also reminiscent of an episode of Deep Space Nine called The Magnificent Ferengi. Right? which is the Magnificent Seven. Well, I thought, well, the Magnificent is, Seven is, is really seven the Seven samurai. samurai.
1: Right. So
0: that was like my mental, I, 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 my mental chain of thought went from, you know, through science fiction to Star Trek
1: to Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa, yeah. Right.
0: Um, so, you know, I think that this, this, episode and is for
1: those uh sorry to interrupt for those who don't know akira curacao was an extremely famous and brilliant japanese director who basically started around 1950 and made movies for about the next 30 years and has been a was a, a very uh, influential director for example george lucas specifically uh, specifically was highly influenced by curacao and curacao himself was influenced by a lot of westerns it's all so like john killer. ford yeah
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, The Seven Samurai is essentially a Western.
1: Right. So it's kind of like Samurai. He made Samurai movies that were inspired by Westerns, which then in turn inspired other, other Westerns. Westerns. <laughs>
0: Including space western, Right. Um, you know, the last episode we talked about, you know, kind of had some more sort of polished and adult aspects and also sort of mixed in some very juvenile aspects i.e. the egg um Mm -hmm. you know this episode i thought i don't know you may disagree i thought this might be the low point for me like this i think is the weakest episode of the first season
1: yeah it's probably at least tied with the crappy the other crappy one the prior episode yeah you know it's great
0: it's the problem with this episode and we'll get into it is it's it's awfully pat you know what i'm saying like it's very simple it's it's pat and like it's literally wrapped up with a little bow at
1: the end it's sort of separate almost from the story you know it's almost like a filler episode right well the
0: only the only non-filler part is that the girl comes back right the other right. the other fighter she becomes relevant as the season wears on but anyway right. here let's just jump into it so um uh we we open on an idyllic uh planet of uh noble appearing savages who still have droids
1: uh, are they like panning for gold what the hell are they doing on the water no they're There's eating like... these
0: sort of like it looks like blue crawfish
1: oh yeah right
0: Right, they're, yeah, they're that's panning right. for blue rubber crawfish.
1: Right, and there's of course like a, a ethnically, uh, you know, uncertain, right. semi-brownish, ambiguous. right, uh, like love interest kind of, kind of milfy chick, <laughs>
0: kind of milfy. Yeah. Um. So everybody, uh, in, in true sci-fi fashion, everybody looks the same, like they're all related, and they all are basically wearing the same clothing. That's sort of almost Star Trekky that everybody on the planet wears the same clothing. And we yeah. open as they're all out, uh, you know, getting the harvest. Um, and uh,
1: panning for crawfish, panning and then they, they start getting crawfish. victimized,
0: right? And then yeah. uh, a bunch of uh, laser blasts come through the woods, and. They are assaulted, and again, my my second Conan the Barbarian reference, sort of like a Conan-esque assault by raiders, and the MILF character and her daughter um, hide in in the water underneath sort of an upturned uh, wicker basket. Right. And it's kind of unclear what these guys are there to steal, you know what I'm saying? Like,
1: these are a bunch of farmers. What do you mean they just like blue crawfish right
0: no i mean like it's revealed eventually that they're there to take the crawfish but um you know it's a little bit delicious it's a little bit of a stretch i I, i'm kind of more you know i like the red crawfish like they they kind of (laughs) taste more like the swedish fish uh but these guys like the blue like this this is like power it tastes like
1: (laughs) they're cgi by the way
0: (laughs) i think i think some of them are rubber
1: The crawfish? Um, Yeah, Yeah, but they're jumping around. It's CGI when they're, like, jumping around in the baskets.
0: Um, So the marauders sort of run into town, take everything. They they make a point of smashing a bunch of droids. Um, Yeah, there's a bunch of yelling. Right. And and it's implied that this has all happened before. Like, the villagers know exactly, you know, when they, when they hear the sort of rumble in the jungle that they know that uh, the bad guys are coming. And the village yeah, is like, totally raised. You know, it's not quite the village scene in Platoon, um, mm-hmm. but the, the village is totally raised. No one gets their head split open with the, the butt of Bunny's rifle.
1: Uh, yeah, they, they like storm in there, steal the food, you know, uh, beat the women, rape the men, et cetera.
0: Well, in Platoon here I was it's, a here it's a, it's a little more little more <laughs> gently handled for the
1: for the young tykes it's a lot more gently handled they right. actually come in they just basically
0: and- take the food and beat up a bunch of robots
1: yeah, exactly. They attack some robots and they, they, <laughs> they yell and they overturn a couple wicker baskets and right. then they're out.
0: Yeah, there's no Elias and Barnes in this one. So, yeah. OK, after the credits, we then cut uh, to uh, Mando and Baby Yoda. And uh, there's sort of a, actually a pretty fun scene where Baby Yoda is in a sort of a playful way, kind of dorking around with the controls in the ship um, and, and making trouble uh Mando finds the the planet and they decide that they'll go down there and lay low for a couple of months where no one could possibly find them. Dun, dun,
1: dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because, you know, it's like crawfish, blue crawfish ponds and, you know, villagers. Like who's going to who's going to look over there? Sure. So the
0: villagers see uh Mando's ship uh, as it sort of it looks like it flies quite a far distance away. Like he flies over them pretty high and then they show him landing. It's gotta be, you know, 20, 30 miles away.
1: They should have had them think he was a God and he comes in there and then like marries one of them. (laughs) I am the Archangel Gabriel. Miramani. Right, Miramani. exactly.
0: I am Kirong. <laughs> so he, he manages to find you know, it's funny because like everything is populated by cantinas in the Star Wars universe. Like he lands in the middle of nowhere and he manages to find something that's like a cross between a cantina and sort of the noodle a tree bar. House. Yeah, well, yeah, and, a, and like an ewok tree house, and like the noodle bar where Rick Deckard gets his noodles and
1: blade right <laughs> Well four dumplings, yeah, I mean, two, two s- dumplings especially this show like everything is a cantina this show really it
0: is true so um he manages to take baby yoda in there which is interesting like i didn't know that children were allowed in bars
1: yeah baby yoda orders um, a shot
0: yeah he's he's, he gets um he gets ordered he gets waited on by a very jewish looking waitress which
1: is sort of interesting (laughs) it's like ria perlman
0: (laughs) um uh, uh, no disrespect, we're MOT, um, and uh, he spots in the corner of this uh, of this uh, noodle bar slash cantina uh, a a young woman who is wearing he's sporting a tattoo that marks her as a rebel drop soldier.
1: She's also built like a brick shit house, right? Right,
0: or or like a WWE, you know, <laughs> wrestler. <laughs> Right, um, and then uh, he he just sort of abandons Baby O at the table. He tosses a coin to the bar barmaid to watch the kid, and he goes outside and engages in a very sort of like high spirit and friendly brawl with this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's you know this scene is played really that there's no sense of danger or menace at all, even though it's a big fight scene, um, and it's really just meant to establish her bona fides as. Badass.
1: Right. Um, and Baby Yoda's like drinking a martini. Comes out there, <laughs> like comes out there with his mug martini and watches them.
0: Right. Um, And it ends with them both with their guns drawn in each other's face. But again, like it's all done for sort of laughs. And then you find out that she was, you know, mopping up Imperials after the Battle of Endor, which is specifically mentioned and that she was a drop soldier, which almost makes you wonder, is that like a little Wink Wink Starship Troopers reference?
1: Yeah, well, we never heard of that before.
0: Um And then she's sort of gone out on her own, and it's sort of unclear exactly what she's doing there. She says she's in early retirement. Like, is she a bounty hunter? Is she guild? Like, what is she, right? So she actually thinks that he's guild and had come after her. That's why they had their lighthearted fight out in the street. But she is relieved to hear that he's not there for her, and she just wants to sort of be on her way. Right. Um, And then that night, he's hanging out at his ship, uh, recently repaired by Queel and he's visited by uh, two sort of beta dudes um, who, you know, address him as Sir, uh, and attempt to enlist him to uh, defend the village from the raiders. And they bring a, a pretty paltry bag of, of loot that he is totally uninterested in.
1: Right. But they didn't tell him about the MILF. <laughs> It's kind of hard to get down if you won't take your helmet off. Well, yeah, but you know he's a he's a Mandalorian. He must find a way. Yeah, I didn't
0: say he couldn't drop his drawer. I just said like it's just hard if he can't take your helmet off.
1: He'll show you the way.
0: (laughs) So um he uh finds what's her name, Kara?
1: Kara Dune as in Arrakis, right? So
0: he finds Kara out in the woods, and he enlists her in this thing, and then they they take literally like the slow boat to China cart uh, back to the village, and it's it's, yeah. The
1: irony of that, you know, when he's flying his intergalactic starship over the treetops, and the next thing he's in it, he's in a donkey cart.
0: And the donkey cart kind of comes back at other times in the episode. The donkey cart kind of reminds me of, did you ever watch the Firefly movie? Yeah. In the Firefly movie, there's a couple of scenes of hover carts that are clearly just wheeled vehicles. And they just sort of like, they just like always have something to obscure the wheel. Like there's always something between you and the camera. That's how to
1: economize.
0: Yeah. And that's what this is. Clearly, this is some sort of wheeled vehicle. And there's always something to block the view of the undercarriage. So they end up in the village. And uh, again, they're sort of treated as sort of like noble savages, right? Uh, There's not a bad bone among any of these people. Yeah. Um, But they essentially, they strike a bargain. Uh, The milf has a daughter, Winta, but they essentially, you know, they strike a a plan where Cara and Mando are gonna uh, defend the village.
1: And it's a photogenic little berg. It's kind of arranged in this like circular pattern.
0: And There's everybody no, like, there open... is
1: very attractive.
0: There's no ugly yeah.
1: people mining the the blue crawfish. Right, they don't have like open sewer pits or right? like... anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Bring out your dead. <laughs>
0: So, Kara and Mando, um, they go out on sort of a scouting expedition to sort of see what they're really up against, figuring that this is just going to be an easy, quick, easy money, mop-up expedition. They see a lot of footprints, and then they see a particular footprint that scares them, and they realize that. The the Marauders have a captured piece of a, an Imperial equipment, an ATST. Essentially, the two-legged walkers that right. we saw uh, Chewbacca and the Ewoks commandeer in the end of Return of the Jedi.
1: Right, which basically brings their opponents to a new level because they basically have mechanized right. artillery.
0: Right, they have heavier, uh, heavier guns yeah. than they were aware of, and then you know. Kara says, like, hey, this is more than I signed up for, right? Like, they kind of lied to us. Like, they didn't tell us. So, and maybe one of the better scenes in the episode, the Mandalorian goes, bad news, you can't live here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's their response. And she goes, that's bedside matter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, they basically just say to them, like, look, like, it's one thing if it's a bunch of guys with rifles, it's another thing if it's mechanized armor that we
1: can't beat. It actually would have been a better episode if if he just left at that point. And that was, <laughs> that was the end of the episode. He's like, my recommendation, relocate. So, right, yeah, like,
0: yeah the, the, the girl looks up and the ship is flying away. Directed by Bryce Dallas <laughs> Howard.
1: <laughs> well, they would have continued the episode like he finds some other cantina on some other planet, you know. <laughs> But for the you know rest of the this
0: is actually I think in some ways the best scene of the episode because it's the actual conflict right N- now it turns out that the people in the village maybe aren't so perfect because they knew about this thing, and they didn't tell them like they kind of lured them there a little bit under false pretense right um, and uh you know they they basically say like what are you what are you hiding here for? like just get out of here, go somewhere else, you know, you could farm somewhere else, and then they dropped the old like well look you know our grandparents planted these mud holes so we can't right. we can't leave the mud holes our grandparents planted right um,
1: i like my open sewer pit
0: <laughs> so after some back and forth uh the the villagers led by uh your friend who uh, your your friend the milf whose name i can't recall um uh, yeah. basically says we're not leaving. Like they put their foot down and they say, we're not leaving. And then it really becomes the Seven Samurai.
1: Right. Right? It's time to train the locals up and make some pointed sticks.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny because pointed sticks ain't going to do any good against rifles, let alone space rifles. (laughs)
1: Let alone an ATST. Right.
0: And again, you know, there's the obligatory, they can't shoot, right? They're sort of like country bumpkins like like you said like they're literally teaching them how to like you know wave a pointed stick around
1: right they're teaching a witch head to the stick is pointy <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then of course it turns out that our heroine uh the villager um is actually uh she's a crack shot uh, yes. she, she trained with gunny gerheim and full metal jacket it turns out and knows how to shoot a rifle right? Um, and uh, there's a little bit of romance between Mando and your girlfriend in this one, right? Um, she puts out some food for him. Uh, there's sort of talk of him like not taking off his helmet, right? There's a little right. like violin playing in the background.
1: Yeah, I almost thought there might be like some kind of little little love triangle with um, what's her name, Cara Dune, the war, the Rebel warrior. You it's think she was in
0: love with your with your girlfriend, the MILF, or the Mando? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just excellent trying to question. figure out.
0: I'm just trying to figure out which uh, which love triangle we're talking
1: about. As as uh, as Samuel Jackson said, that's an excellent point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought maybe that there was going to be a little Mandalorian love triangle going on with the two women uh, for a second, but that didn't really happen. No, it really did. They keep it platonic with the uh, with the other warrior. No. Um, uh, what was I gonna so say? So they go assault. Basically, then they they move on to the village assault. Like they go assault the raider people, and then they they basically make a pit that the add at Ad- add or ATST is supposed to fall into, and then it's like the seven samurai, you know, combat scene happens.
0: Right. And by the way, the MILF's name is O'Meara, just for the, we should actually just say it one time. Oh, she's Irish? <laughs> you know, my uh, my sister married an Irishman. Oh, really? No, O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so um, there's some night before jitters, right, where they have sort of like the coming of the raid. And then um, Caradoon and the Mandalorian, they go into the Marauder's Town and they they, they put a lot of time bombs around the place. Right. To essentially With flashing choo- LEDs. Right, right. To sort of that, 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 that flash faster as time goes on. Um, and then they sort of make short work of a bunch of doofuses who happen to come across them as they're setting all their bombs. And again, this scene is mostly to just show how badass everybody is. Right. Um, and then it, it breaks into them running through the woods. Um, essentially to bait the ATST into walking into the holes. It's completely ridiculous that they on foot are able to outrun a machine that can stride, you know, 80 feet per step. Yeah. Um, But that's exactly what happens. They're able to sort of keep ahead of it. You know, when I was in high school and I ran on track and I was at the peak fitness of my life, a guy who was six inches taller than me, you know, I, he he could run me down, you know, without even trying. Like that's how much you know a little bit of height makes in terms of difference in running. But they're able to somehow keep ahead of this thing. Yeah. Um and then they make it back to the to the crawfish patties where everybody's the standing there in
1: wait. No. Transmission's probably bad on the ATS. They can't get out of like third gear. Oh, right, right.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's like the transmission more. fluid it's hasn't old. been serviced in a couple it's of old. years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's like a it's like a 10, model, and you know they weren't as reliable. <laughs> um, that, that was a Dune reference, by the way. Anyway, um, so of course the ATST it kind of hesitates at the last minute and doesn't quite step into the hole. Right. Right. So there's these the best sort of- laid plans. Right, it literally it lifts its foot up over the hole and then it backs off. And this is, by the way, um, I like to make sci-fi references. This is very reminiscent of the um, last second. Sorry, this is reminiscent of the second to last episode of the first season of the Tripods TV show. Do you remember the Tripods TV show based on the John
1: Christopher novels? Yeah, that's a that's a real obscure reference, man. Right, that was PBS. That,
0: well, that was actually BBC, I think. Right,
1: that became but in the PBS US, in, in America.
0: Right. But that the second to last episode of that uh, culminates in a scene where the three main characters um, have to get one of the giant mechanized tripods. Uh, Essentially to knock it over, but uh, it's sort of the same idea, sort of the same tension, like if you can get the thing down, you can kill it, but you can't kill it when it's on its feet. Right. Um, and this scene is very similar to that because in both shows, they have to lay a trap that the mechanized machine will topple in. Um, yep. Well, just as a side note, if anybody out there listening remembers the tripods, it's pretty good practical effects. Obviously, no CGI back then, but like the tripods to this day look pretty good. The way that they made them move and walk, and they were just practical models. Anyway, um, so the there's a you know this is the big budget of one
1: pound twenty for the entire series, right?
0: (laughs) And then the marauders come running underneath the legs of the ATST. And then it just becomes sort of an all-out melee, and the implication is that the marauders, essentially armed by the Mandalorian and his, you know, his gun collection, um, uh, you know, they're able to sort of put up an organized resistance that the marauders are unprepared for, and all of a sudden they're in a real shooting match. Yeah. Um, and uh, they finally, uh, with a lot of shooting back and forth and triggering, they are finally able to get uh the ATST to step into the hole. Yeah. Um and you know, with predictable results, it falls over. Right. And they win. Right. And it, uh, you know, it, it is, it's kind of like it's the big scene, like it steps into the hole and it's sort of in like a, you know, a very sort of like human way of moving, you know, it it flops over. And everyone is very excited. It's kind of implied that it's it, the machine is kind of like like you were like we were joking about is not so well maintained like when it sort of stumbles like parts of it almost fall off. Yep, you know? Like there's like a window cover on the 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 passenger seat that sort of like uh, flips over. And, and actually, just to bring it back to Tripods, when it falls over, the Mandalorian runs over and throws a bomb in it and it explodes from the inside out. In the episode of the Tripods, when they knock it over, they 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 put a bomb under its, uh, sorry, they, they're able to sort of trip it and it falls over and one of the characters runs over and throws a grenade in it and blows it up. The exact same thing. I'm telling you, like, I, it's hard to ignore how similar this is to so many other properties. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the machine is brought down and then destroyed in the exact same way. And then the remaining marauders, you know, without the cover of their ATST, just hightail it into the woods. Right. Wimps. exactly um and then you know there's kind of like a coda at the end right where baby yoda we see the next day like everyone's happy no one's you know hurt
1: you know domestic bliss with baby yoda and the other village kids
0: right and baby yoda he's he's happy and
1: accepted um
0: and then they basically say to the mandalorian do you want to stay which is interesting. And then I think almost more important is in this scene, the Mandalorian and Kara have an explicit conversation about the helmet, which has been kind of hinted at a little bit. And she says, what happens if you take your helmet off? You know, like, will the other Mandalorians come kill you. And he says, no, 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 it's not like that, but I can't put it on again. And the Hmm. implication is like, no one can see him. Right. So, Must be, I guess, man. He's always got to like take a shit in private, you know?
1: (laughs) He's got to eat in private. I know, I
0: know. Well, you know, the eating and the shitting go together,
1: I guess. Um, (laughs) Especially when he goes out for Mexican.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's implied that this is actually a few weeks after the battle. Like, this is not the next day. This is maybe a few weeks later, and everything has returned to normal. And then um, the Mandalorian thinks that maybe he can leave Baby Yoda here, right? Like right, maybe this right. is an answer to his problem. He can get back to his life of being a bounty hunter, get some money, right, and leave the right. kid here. And kind of it's win-win-win. And then it turns out that dun dun dun,
1: it's not as safe <laughs> as it seems. Yes, keldo um, homage. Right,
0: and there's um. Uh, we see a bounty hunter, or clearly a guild member with a tracking fob, is approaching the village. It's actually a member of the same species who rats out uh, Luke and Han to the sorry Luke and Ben to the stormtroopers in Moss Eisley. It's the exact same species. Um, We've seen them before too. I think. Yeah, I think we saw them in the uh, in first Target bar earlier
1: in the season. Yeah.
0: Um, So, uh, like I said, you know, they ask him to stay in the village. He says he kind of can't, and then they have to have a shootout with this one lone bounty hunter. And then he realizes that like, there will be more, they're not safe. Right. The kid isn't safe. He's got to go. Right. Um, and then the end of the show is him just, you know, piling a bunch of stuff. I assume all his guns and other stuff, uh, back onto the cart the, to take him back to his ship, by the way, which is referred to as the Razor Crest. We haven't said that mm-hmm. officially yet. And then he has a very heartwarming moment with the woman. Baby Yoda hugs the woman's kid or some kid. Um, I, think it's his, I think it's her kid, Omera's kid. And um, they get on the cart and roll away. And the wheel supporting the cart is obscured by a child's head in the foreground. It is. It's like the last shot of the thing before uh we see uh a long shot of Baby Yoda Puppet. Not Baby Yoda CGI, but Baby Yoda Puppet. And his ears sag in sadness as he leaves his friends behind.
1: Right. He's a little forlorn because right. they were playing tag and like they were playing with their Star Wars figurines together.
0: <laughs> I really like Baby Yoda's clothing. Like I like his little like kind of like I don't know, look his burlap. Sack that he
1: wears baby Yoda is so cute that <laughs> you i am i'm pure i'm straight up a victim of even though they've they've made him intentionally over cute like kawaii kind of you know mm-hmm. like super cute I, I I'm totally a victim of like I fall for it He's you so actually cute.
0: sleep with a plush baby yoda,
1: yeah, I ordered it off Amazon. <laughs>
0: Did you buy the real one or the made in China one?
1: (laughs) No, I got the uh, I'm just kidding, they're both made in China. (laughs) (laughs) The kawaii, genuine baby
0: Yoda. Uh, I don't know for me, and I've now seen the whole season at this point. This is, I think, the low point. Again, it's a very straight story and it's told in a completely you know, workmanlike way by Bryce Dallas Howard, but it's 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 everything we've seen before. There's not one surprise
1: in this episode. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not the greatest.
0: And the other thing, too, is there's absolutely no sense of danger. You know what I'm saying? Like, this whole thing is just a foregone conclusion. You know exactly how everything is going to turn out. And, you know, they, they had an opportunity to kind of bend it on its ear a little bit, you know, and do something different or have something unexpected happen. And they
1: didn't. Right right, like they told right. they told the straightest story they could possibly tell. they took the blandest possible route, yeah there is no spice. there's not a dash of spice in the entire episode. It, right. is, deep. it is a bland stew,
0: and you know this this has a very, very high rating on Rotten tomatoes, but uh, I think for me, the rest of the season is now an upward arc from here, and again, I thought that episode three or chapter three, as they call
1: it. Was fine and it had enough. Like yeah, that one was all right.
0: It was okay. Like the kitty stuff, you know, like the sand crawler scene and the interactions with Quill. No, that was you know? two,
1: wasn't it? Two was the one with the mud horn or whatever and the egg and stuff. It was episode oh, two. Three got three got better. Yeah,
0: three got better. So the one I'm, the one that I say isn't the greatest is the one with the mud horn. But yeah, it's but two this and is, four. But and, this is this is a little worse, I think, just because you know it's playing so hard to
1: the little kitties, you know. Yeah, they don't even have uh, the little like, tykes. Yeah, they don't even have like Yoda demonstrating his force powers or anything and floating. The, no, you know, he like, just eats some blue crawfish. Yeah, there's just nothing to it. It's super bland. But, um, but I think the rest of the
0: season arcs upward from here for me because it also now because the rest of the season now it's episode four. Like they've really established who the characters are, and the rest of the season kind of becomes about paying the piper. The fact that he went back on the guild right and took the kid right, from Werner Herzog. Yep. So the rest of the season kind of heads off in that direction. Um, but to our listeners, uh, I would definitely recommend you check out uh, Marauders uh, from Star Trek Enterprise, The Magnificent Ferengi from Deep Space Nine, Tripods, which is a completely available free on YouTube, The Seven Samurai, and, of course, The Magnificent Seven
1: i'd probably skip the magnificent seven it's <laughs> not seven. bad Sam- either it's not that samurai's long though
0: yeah Magnificent really good not bad too so i mean seven samurai is the best of the lot but it just shows you you know a good idea is worth doing over and over again aka good artists borrow great artists steal as they say yeah all right should we wrap there yep see all right we time. will see you guys back for chapter five